You're listening to Two Beers Until Phrenesis, a philosophy podcast by students, graduates, and anyone else interested in ideas. Alongside regular guests and friends, we discuss some of life's big questions over a few beers. Enjoy. Hello, Joe. Hi. Hello, Joe. Hello. Right, um, so Joe, your dissertation is on AI and consciousness. Yes. Um, so yeah, that's for third year RPE, Religion, Philosophy and Ethics. H- how long is it? Uh, 9,000 words. Right, cool. It's quite short, really. Yeah, in comparison to recent years. Yeah. What's the exact question? So I've played around with a few ideas. Initially, um, I was floating around with the idea of focusing it solely on AI and talking about consciousness as a caveat to AI. Um, figured out I'm not a scientist <laughs> I can't really do that Yeah. so I've had to switch it around the opposite way and say what is consciousness and what does it mean for artificial intelligence Right. so okay. kind of add AI as a caveat to make it sound a bit more interesting because yeah. the original idea was to talk about AI to keep it up to date, keep it modern keep people interested in it yeah. I realise I don't know that much about AI <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. just well, to make consciousness sound more interesting yeah. I've added in a bit of AI. So what I was trying to do is avoid the question consciousness question mark. Where in reality that's all the dissertation is, just talking about AI a little bit on the side to make it sound a bit more interesting. Mm. But really it's a consciousness question, which is fine. Yeah. So regular listeners to our show, of which there are about three, um, will know that we did a podcast on AI recently. Um we were mostly talking about the mechanics and stuff, but we largely avoided these questions because when it comes to consciousness it's so difficult to pin down exactly what it is so you were telling me earlier out in the garden when I was burning some wood you basically decided that you didn't know what consciousness is pretty much for the intro so pretty much. did you did you come to any real like conclusions about consciousness or why why did you decide it was so hard well basically the the first chapter to my dissertation is establishing what we mean when we say the words artificial intelligence Mm-hmm. Um, so given a basic overview of that and conclude with a definition then an attempt to define consciousness okay. basically figured out I couldn't do it I couldn't yeah. define consciousness that, in a general sense because what there are is lots of different definitions of consciousness from different people Definitely, yeah. um, and so in showing that there's lots of different definitions I showed that there isn't one universal one that works yet which one are you going for? Because you, you're, you're a proponent of like Daniel Dennett. No. Yeah. Oh, you are? Dennett, definitely. Right, yeah, because it's, it's Nye that hates Dennett. Right. That's why I wanted to get you two talking on it. <laughs> okay. He fucking hates it. Um, thinks it's a load of crap. Uh, yeah, I mean, from what little I've read on Dennett, I seem to... I'm pretty much like a... Cause I think it also relates into free, free will and stuff, so like... Can you, can you tell me what you said? Yeah, because well, we're going yeah, to yeah. unpack a lot of things. First of all, right, let's unpack what artificial intelligence is. It's, I mean, it's you, if, if you want to look at the mechanics and exactly how it all works and some of the more uh, intricate definitions and things, you can go back and look at that podcast we did. We'll just recap for now. So I'm going to ask a lot of stupid questions because I don't good. know. We, we need that. We need, we need <laughs> for things like consciousness and AI, we need a lot of stupid questions. So, <laughs> Come to the right loser. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you can, we can basically play like on behalf of the audience. Yeah, that's what I'm doing. I'm yeah. doing it intentionally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what I've got from uh, a scientific approach to artificial intelligence from a book 
that I've just got off my dissertation. I don't fully understand it, but I basically <clears> used it to get a simple definition of AI. 40 <laughs> quid well spent, I reckon, but <laughs> I'll sell it, it's fine. Um, so a couple of the vague terms that I picked up on in the introduction to the book are that an artificial intelligence must think humanly, God knows what that means. Yeah, that's... Uh, think rationally, good. act humanly, and act rationally. Should we go through... <laughs> oh, should we not <laughs> go through each, each of those? That's difficult. Mm. Think humanly. I think I've just thrown that in there to, like... That's kind of just a catch-all kind of... I get act humanly. Um, so Re- a lot, Respond humanly. So a lot of the more cutting-edge uh, research into AI is to try and make it communicate with humans in a convincing way and to convincingly portray a human. That's the, that's the Turing test, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, thinking humanly, I'm not... Does, is, why does it have to? Does that mean thinking like a human? Or The problem is, saying to think human assumes that we know what it is to be human. And that which is, we don't, yeah. Which is the arrogance of this, this book. Yeah. Because we don't know that at all. We've got no. a clue. Well, I think, I think there is probably a differentiation between thinking very basically like a robot and thinking more complexly or, or at least mirroring human thought or in appearance or you know, you know I, I think I think there's some things we are that are given there. It's not terribly complicated, but it is it is difficult. I've actually come across the idea that AI is basically anything to do with computer intelligence that we haven't yet fully got to grips with. So things like voice activation and voice recognition in its simpler forms, were considered AI, and now they're no longer considered AI. So it's basically a- anything that we get to work out, you know. Yeah. Why should it have to think humanly, though? Because um, wh- why are we the standard of... Is it simply for the benefit of us to understand that it's clever? Capitalism, or? basically. Because all the research into AI is effectively to, so it can translate and apply into business. So the more human it can be, the more applications it has in things like customer interaction and automation, as we were talking about in the past. Doesn't that come into look human? Like a, a, a self-service machine responds to you, like, uh, have you got a bag? Or, you know, yeah. that, that comes under... It, you can tell it's not thinking, but it is. Well, I think a lot of research indicates that people don't like things that imitate yeah. humans. Like the human face, the uncanny valley kind of thing. Uh, and people find it creepy, basically. Mm-hmm. But it's better than printing out a receipt with loads of numbers on. Like, yeah, so it, it's, finding, it's finding that, that balance. And I think a lot of research and development goes into public conception of AI as well, whether they find it scary and whether they, what kinds of AI they'll be comfortable with and which kinds they can therefore pursue and things. So talking of thinking humanly, um, when I was doing some work in second year, so this is like basically a rudimentary version of my dissertation now. So my question was a little bit more arrogant back then. It was, how close are we to artificial intelligence? Should we be worried? It's a little bit wordy and a bit nasty. Um, so I've refined that a little bit and learnt from my mistakes in writing that essay, which was kind of the point of it, to be honest. Um, and I talk about something called the frame problem. Right. Just to, as a caveat, apparently by maths and science and other such wizardry, it has been solved now. But... I'll say it anyway, just because I think it gives a good definition of what thinking humanly might be. So the way Dennett describes the frame problem is that there is a robot, a bomb, and a wagon. The robot is told its only goal is to survive. Its battery is low, and in order to survive, it must retrieve the battery that is on a wagon in a room. 
Also on the wagon is the bomb. So the robot then pulls the wagon out of the room in the hope that it will retrieve the battery, but of course it also retrieves the bomb and therefore it explodes. The robot's creators then upgrade it slightly so it is able to deduce the implications of his actions. The robot then pulls the wagon out of the room, deducing that doing so would cause the wheels to turn and not cause the colour of the walls to change, and once again the bomb explodes. The designers then implement a system in which the robot can discriminate between relevant and irrelevant implications of its actions. Instead of retrieving the wagon, the designers find the robot sitting, as Dennett describes, Hamlet-like, outside the room. This shows that the robot, instead of acting, is weighing up all the thousands of possible relevant implications and making lists before it can act. So, what the example is showing in terms of what human thinking is, is we're able to discriminate quickly what is relevant and irrelevant in terms of implications. So, if we take a bomb out of a room, is it going to change the colour of the walls? Is it going to change my name? Stuff like that. It's suggesting there's a certain human know-how rather than a machine. Yeah, I just, you know, so I think looking at all the different possible examples. Yeah, I think what that gets at is a more kind of general intelligence because we're talking about like um, guided or overseen AI that you uh, basically change the parameters ever so slightly each time yeah. and they're, they're focused on one specific task. Yeah. Um, and then, but yeah, I think your dissertation probably is looking at, yeah, you're looking at obviously consciousness and the, the more... The the it goes totally beyond that. I'm you know, just using that purely as a means to an end for talking about what thinking humanly might entail. What's yeah, the yeah. difference between simply being an intelligent thing and being a conscious thing? Well, yeah, so, so there's a step um, from the more like binary um, focused kind of AI to general intelligence, which is like being able to discriminate between the relevancy of different inputs and things without having to, you know, work within set parameters and having to have that keep being changed. Um, but in terms of consciousness is a whole different kettle of fish and I mean you're you're best to to take on this definition so what definitions of consciousness did you find uh, sorry I was reading a guy called uh, Peter Hacker do you think he was born and was like well I've got to do something with computers kind of figure something out that's it and basically what he gets at is that whenever we talk of consciousness all we're talking about is qualia Qual what's qualia qualia is the non-physical substance of stuff that Oh, it's bloody hard, isn't it? Um, a subjective conscious experience. So to put that in terms that humans can understand, when you look at a red rose, there is a certain feeling you get when you see a certain redness. And that non-physical stuff is supposedly qualia. Something that's only your reaction. No yeah, one else has yeah, to say Yeah, it's that. subjective entirely. And you, you can't really put it into words um, and you can't describe it without comparing it to something else. Mm. Okay. See, but you don't buy that not totally so what Hacker is saying is that consciousness is qualia it may as well be the same thing because of the way we talk about it mm. um, and he essentially says that that's not very useful that gets us no closer to understanding consciousness at all Yeah. which I fully agree with I don't think it's useful at all no I don't have you already decided on what definition of consciousness you prefer yeah so I'm leading towards uh, a mix of what Hacker says and then backing him up with what Dennett says. Okay, and what does Dennett Dennett's say? Dennett's basic idea is that consciousness is an illusion. Yeah. Which I'm at the moment fully on board with. Well, he's, um, yeah, he's, a, he's a soft determinist in terms of free will. I yeah. think free will relates heavily with it does. the idea of consciousness. I hate to 
soft determinism. So, sorry, yeah, we've got to unpack these terms. No, you're right. Uh, you're right. Yeah. Just, I mean, just do that, the whole podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, soft determinism. So uh, there are th- roughly three approaches to free will. I've got to remember my fucking A-levels here because we didn't touch on this <laughs> anyway. Um, it's one of the things, this is basically why I did this podcast to look back on these ideas. You've got the complete idea of free will, which is basically a theological idea. It only exists within religion. Usually that's a kind of theological juggle used to be like, well, the Bible says we do, so we've got to try and work that in there. And the whole moral system is balanced on free will. Yeah, exactly. You you can only be bad because of your own actions. Oh God, then you get to euthyphro and everything. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, exactly. It's it's a can of worms. It really um, is. I spoke to a guy who came along to a humanist meeting and he was basically shunned by his community <laughs> he was a christian and he didn't believe in free will and obviously that's kind of incongruent you can't really do that but he was basically a determinist so uh, determinism is basically uh one of the most prominent examples of determinism i can think of memory is uh clarence darrow he was a yeah fucking yeah the the Leopold and Loeb case yeah he was a lawyer and he basically got two people off by saying that they were just a product of their environment and their yeah. upbringing. They murdered, they murdered someone, didn't they? Yeah. Um, basically, determinism is the idea that you're just a product of things down to a very causal level and in terms of... Um, that right down to a molecular level. Um, but there are some counters to that, like the theory that at some basic level there is randomity in uh, molecules and whatever. I'm not a scientist. <laughs> <laughs> That'll become even more clear throughout this episode. Like, yeah. Not a scientist. Yeah. It's every fucking philosopher's problem. <laughs> yeah, so self-determinism is a balance between the two. That basically there is some leeway in there somewhere to allow for some free will. Mm. It's, it's hard determinism, which is like, there's no way out of it. Everything, you're just trapped in this continual domino effect. Whilst, uh, it's interesting some of the arguments used to uh, justify self-determinism, but most philosophers fall pretty hard on it that free will is an illusion and Dennett is only just about a soft determinist. If I could illustrate soft determinism a little bit, forgive me if I balls this up, but the way I like to see it in my mind is that determinism is in hard determinism is there are a set of options and which option you choose is determined and it's always going to be that case because of your environment, because you're upbringing, everything like that. You don't really have a choice Mm. properly. Soft determinism is more, um, you would always be facing those set of options, but the option in which you choose is slightly your choice. So, so there's like, more leeway for actual free will. Um, I'm faced with the option of being a professional basketball player or not being a professional basketball player. Yeah. And I could choose to be a professional basketball player, Yeah. but the chances are because of my genetics or my upbringing or whatever, right. that... I will not. Well, it's right down to every action we take, like what right now, the words we choose to... If you're doing A-level, you already know this. This is just very A-level. If you've done any philosophy, I think you're going to know these concepts. They're probably best for another day as well. I can't really define consciousness. It can't be defined physically. It can't really be defined mentally. So is it there? It kind of seems the next step to suggest that it might not be there if we can't find it mentally or physically. There might not be any such thing as consciousness. Right. So 
my thing is that humans are so bloody arrogant and we always like to think we're really special and we look for the mysticism in things when the mysticism really might not be there. And I think that could be the case with consciousness, that we're looking for something extraordinary and we're going to have a huge revelation when we find what consciousness really is. But I think we're just applying far too much mysticism. We're getting too excited about something that's probably really simple. So are you suggesting that when I'm picturing an elephant yeah. in my head, what's really happening is like an electrical discharge or some neurons or fucking whatever going on in the synapse? I'm not a scientist. In the synapses of my brain. <laughs> like, I don't like to be that is, reductionist. Is it all just material? It's all, it's all material anyway. Yeah. The, the question is whether it's that material is causal entirely. That there's is it causal or is it epiphenomenal? Yeah. Epiphenomenal. Mm. What does that mean? <laughs> uh, basically, the, the mind relies on the brain. So there's a physical reaction and then some kind of non-physical stuff happens. Something happens. It. There's not causal, it just happens. The qualia. Yeah, yeah. quite right. Well, so, yeah, something something sort of jumps in from somewhere that isn't causal. Yeah. 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 It's just there. So the mind doesn't control the body. It just kind of happens as a result of the body existing. Epiphenomenalism. Diabetics love it. <laughs> Um, so this question of consciousness, how how exactly does it relate for you to artificial intelligence? So the implication so far is that we don't know what it is, can't define it, so it might not be there, but we still experience this illusion that we think we are conscious, or we at least think there's something, uh, a, such a cliche, but there's something more, there's something else. I hate yeah. saying that. but So if it is the case that we are just simple biological machines that experience this illusion... The question is, will an artificial intelligence also experience this illusion? Hmm. All right. If, if I, I'm not convinced that we'll get to the point where we'll ever know. Yeah. Are you um, aware of the distinction between consciousness, machine consciousness, and a singularity? For the purpose of this podcast, no. Who came up with it? Ray Kurzweil. What? Uh, what's he doing at the moment? Anyone? Anyone there? He's working at Google for is a while. Oh Jesus! Yeah. Fuck. So. <laughs> right, so a singularity is basically an AI is learning at an exponential rate. It basically catches up to itself, doesn't it? Yeah. To the point where it learns everything in a second. It's got yeah. to the point where it's... So and, it's and it's learning how to learn at an increasing rate. Yeah. It's teaching, it's improving itself and faster and faster and faster and faster and faster. And a lot of people confuse that with machine consciousness, which I think is... It's a totally different idea. Yeah, because a lot, a lot of... Like, so Skynet in... Terminator. You don't have to tell me. It is. <laughs> it, it's a singularity. Do you know Arnold Schwarzenegger is the same age as Ryan Gosling? Yeah. They're like it. Skynet in that thing when it chooses to destroy all the humans or whatever. That's a singularity, but it, it's not necessarily conscious. Because it realises that actually the one thing the world doesn't need is humans. That, mm. I love that. That, that. It's got singularity and it's like, what next? No humans. Yeah, and that's the problem of have you come across the term perverse instantiation? I can't say I have. So that's when a singularity happens, but the parameters haven't been set properly. So Skynet hasn't been programmed with the parameters to not destroy humans. What, they, what kind of parameters are we looking at? What to, do you mean by parameters? To, like, so like rules? Well, set parameters yeah, 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 to yeah, not yeah. kill us all. Yeah. That, is that Asimov? Asimov's laws, yeah. The yeah. three 
Asimov's gone. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a robot may not injure a human being or through inaction allow a human to come to harm. Um, a robot must obey the orders given to it by human beings, except where such orders would conflict with the first law. And the third law is a robot must protect its own existence as long as such protection does not conflict with the first or second law. I think it can defend itself as long as it doesn't... Yeah, kind of makes sense, but I know it's been criticised yeah. quite a lot. So an iRobot, yeah. which is a film that actually opens with Asimov laws. Yeah. I'm basically just going to keep throwing up fiction examples, but um, is it Vicky in iRobot, the, the machine that goes... The mental? one of the... the like the mainframe yeah. thing? Right, so is that an example of the singularity or is it machine consciousness? I think it's machine consciousness. Um, it isn't just learning at an increased rate because it's contemplative and self-aware. If you give a robot a trolley problem, like what's it going to do? Yeah, well, this is another thing we we mentioned and think, and we should unpack the trolley problem. I failed to do that in the last thing. I couldn't fucking explain the trolley. No, problem. I, I just basically went, oh, there's a track, uh, and there's <laughs> there's this <laughs> before the track, and there's a range gun, there's a fat man on a bridge. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. so I was just I was just. Like picking apart all the little bits, but I didn't explain the critical premise that the, this train is going to crash into one of the two. Yeah, so so there's it, a fork in the track. Yeah, it sounded like I was like the train was going to go pick them up or something. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there's a runaway train and it's going to head towards one of two things, and you can pull the lever to decide which one it smashes into, and you have to take into account the you know what's on both forks. One's got a pregnant lady. Yeah, and the other one's got an old lady with a child or something. Yeah, and, and then you can you can keep swapping the variables. So like yeah. you stick a the standard is a utilitarian idea of there's five people on one track, one person on another track. Mm. Utilitarian says you know kill the one person mm. to save the many. Um, I mean my criticism of the trolley problem, and because this is often what's taught to students, uh, the trolley problem. This is ethics. Mm. It's not ethics, and I think that's true for several reasons. For a start, it's way too morbid. It's too calculative, and it kind of misses the whole point of ethics which is a more fundamental question of recognition of the human subject and that's something that this kind of abstract way of thinking about moral questions fails to see and you've also got this problem like well when are you ever going to be presented with a situation like this ethics is more of a, a practice and a cumulative looking at things it's not to do with cognition you're never going to be stood there on a track ready to pull the lever so although they're kind of useful these questions are kind of limited because you're never going to really be in any kind of situation like that or have to think in ethics and think about ethics in that kind of dimension unless you're a politician but politics isn't ethics politics is the application of morality which in itself is the application of ethics yeah so you're saying that politics is removed from ethics <laughs> it's twice removed it's his yeah. distant cousin yeah, yeah. Um, but I think trolley problems are useful they're very useful for getting students talking and stuff. Not, only, not only that it's not it's not just hypothetical anymore because of um, self-driving cars trolley problem into self-driving cars in favour of utilitarianism yeah yeah but so again, that's, what that's form design. of utilitarianism and it's like what variables do you put in do you use like a hedonic calculus like the first guy to come up with utilitarian did because mm. that's awful because that's like yeah Bentham fucking how long is the pleasure going to last how strong is the pleasure like what what does any of this mean like, I think it's how very, can you do that for self-driving cars it's like very 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 simple like you're going to mow into three people and the car will decide to drive into a wall and kill the it'll driver it'll kill the driver yeah 
rather than killing these three people. There's nothing you can do about it. Well, we were saying, we'll just do it. Yeah. What we were saying about um, you know, future capitalism, is there going to be an underground market for cars that won't kill the driver and people will pay yeah. more for them <laughs> yeah. kind of thing, you know. Just uh, so they can mow children down. Yeah. <laughs> no. Oh, yeah. my self-driving mechanism broke. And then they get loads of money because they can sue them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, um, no it's, it's really difficult. And uh, I think, yeah, most people go for just basic utilitarianism stuff when, they, when it comes to programming machines. That seems to be the prevalent argument. You know, save more lives, risk the fewer lives. Maybe there's a way we can kind of move away from that utilitarianism. Because, I mean, when you talk to most people, you realise they're not utilitarian and nobody is. That's just pragmatism. So maybe there's a way to communicate to machines this kind of complexity and richness of moral questions the way humans do it, but maybe not. Elsewhere in science fiction, you have this TV show called The Hundred. Don't know if you've ever seen it. Yeah, it's pretty, no. pretty schlocky. It looked, yeah, it looked really awful. Mm, I, Is it on E4? Yeah, I quite like it. A lot. But apparently it got better with age. It did. It really did. Throws up some interesting because the guy writing it clearly likes science fiction ideas. The first series has got all this like teen drama shit. Yeah, it? it's yeah, weird. Because I, I watched the advert, I was like, Shh, no, she's yeah. not going to watch that. <laughs> um, but as it as it develops, there's more mature themes, more heady themes about like, it, it, I don't know. It's it's got a little bit of uh... Stephen King likes it. Did it? Yeah, big fan of the hundred. It is. How do you know all this trivia? Because I'm a useless bank of shit. What's that thing? Lord, Lord of the Flies. Yeah, so it's like Lord of the Flies at first. Yeah. Um, bunch of uh, kids come down from the come down from space. They're the first people on Earth after it got annihilated in a nuclear war. So they're basically trying to figure out how to set up a society. It's pretty ethical. There's different competing ideas and stuff. If you can sift through all the fucking people sleeping with each other yeah oh. but after that, that comparable to Lost in that story I think so I've never actually seen Lost, Lost is supposed to be philosophical isn't it I think some of the main characters are named after philosophers in some kind of rudimentary form what's your name Aristophanes just <laughs> 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 call me Ari <laughs> um. but um, no, I, I genuinely think one of them is called John Locke I don't know. I haven't watched it, but I think there's some kind of reference there. <laughs> well, anyway, um, so there's there's a bunch of social problems, and it all comes to a head when they realise that an AI has uh, awoken itself, and the AI actually spoilers caused the nuclear war. What's what series are we on to find this? Three. Oh no! Can I skip that? Five series. Yeah, sorry. Is it still going? Yeah. I'm never going to yeah, watch yeah, it. It's, so. it's still going. Um, you, don't, you don't need to go that far anyway. Yeah, someone called John Locke. Yeah, I just Googled the casting for Lost. There is a guy called John Locke. Desmond Hume. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <'cause laughs> Hume. That's incredible. Hume is a pretty uh, common last name, you know, one of the founding empiricists. I like that a lot. <laughs> ah, I'm surprised there isn't like a fucking Sophocrocles <laughs> popping up. Polto. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, I'm gonna open the beer, hang on. So yeah, this AI destroyed humanity because it wasn't sufficiently programmed to not identify humanity as a threat. The parameters weren't in place to, to prevent it from doing that. So when it's a singularity occurred, it wasn't conscious, it couldn't learn new things properly, but it was just working 
at increasing levels within its set parameters, um, and it couldn't break those parameters and learn anything new outside of that. So are you saying that the, the absence of parameters is part of consciousness? So if it, it, it can be... I could be. You could be. Okay, yeah. Okay. Sure, why not? Sure, why not? Yeah. I mean, I was, but yeah, I, I, I'm not sure if that's right, but yeah, I will, we'll go for that. I don't know if I'm jumping ahead, but so talk about Skynet. It finds what's supposedly good um, and it, it follows that, and maybe that's kill humans because humans are bad. I take issue with the idea that Skynet has figured out what's good. Because what do we mean when we say what's good? It's going to be different for us than it is for Skynet. And that's why it's a singularity rather than AI consciousness, because I don't think it's worked out what's good. I think it's just doing what it's programmed to do. Being really nerdy. Yeah. I think there is a bit where they explain that pollution and war. So it, it surveys all of human history. Yeah. And it just weighs up, actually, they've done more things to harm the world, then they have to benefit the world. Skynet concerned with the survival of itself on Earth. Skynet is designed to protect itself, I think, and I think it, yeah. the biggest threat to it itself is humans. Okay. Um, it, it it's was, a defence programme, and it's not, it's not yeah, cause it really was, it supposed was, to prioritise any particular thing, life. I so I think it's meant to maintain world peace, and it basically... Yeah. yeah, that's the thing, its parameters aren't defined properly, and that's what mm. causes it. I'm, I'm not sure... The whole mutually assured destruction thing. Yeah. Mm. What I don't yeah. get is why in Terminator Salvation and, and fucking, what's her name, plays Skynet from Harry Potter. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I want to say Anne Boleyn, because she fucking... <laughs> Bellatrix <laughs> Lestrange. Yeah. Because she played Anne Helena Bonnecourt. Helena Bonnecourt. Yeah, she played. She played Anne Boleyn in a, in a fucking awful TV drama where Ray Winston played Henry VIII. <laughs> I can see Ray Winston. Anne, I love you, Anne. <laughs> <laughs> I can see that happening. Wolsey. <laughs> it's just that. Just, is it just like half an hour of him eating a chicken leg? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, I'd watch that. I've got the gout. Bet three six five. <laughs> <laughs> Better play. <laughs> yeah, so Helena von Carter's got it in that film. Yeah. Why? Yeah, uh, it's uh, it's weird. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's really weird because obviously it's not an example. A lot of people pointed out that's not an example of AI consciousness. It's a singularity. So why does it have a human face? Why? No. Why is it being nerdy again? Go on. It's because I want to say his name is Marcus, and he's going there, and Skynet is trying to convince him to be bad. So it takes the form of someone he knew. It's not like it's not interested in talking to anyone. It just indiscriminately makes terminators to fucking horribly kill people. Like it wouldn't care. It wouldn't go to that length. It's not interested in communicating. It's not that kind of program. Like it just seems weird. It, I think it's, it's an interesting point in general talking about Terminator. The, the the entire series does not consider consciousness at all. No. It is purely as we are wrong because Terminator Two they take out Arnie's chip. That's why he's saying shit like hasta la vista, baby. Oh, and then the bit at the end where he's like, That's I now know why humans cry. Yeah. There's something I cannot do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I he actually, point. He, he, actually, he starts he, smiling. He actually becomes conscious. Okay, I'll give you yeah. that. Yeah. What, was it an inhibitor chip or something? Or yeah. yeah. So, um, like, well, like you said, parameters. Yeah, Defined, they're taken out his... Defining consciousness. Yeah. They, they remove the parameters. He becomes I'm not conscious. sure he gets any form of morality, but... Well, Probably what he's learned, but then what? What do we? Yeah, there is a bit when he's, there is a bit when he's shooting people in the knee because he's been told don't kill anyone. 
Yeah, I think that's instructions rather than yeah, casualty zero. Because he's that. Yeah, to be honest, he's told to obey. Yeah, yeah, and so and that's what he's told to do. Have you ever seen the film AI? No. Yeah, of course I have. Steven Spielberg. But it doesn't. I don't think it really addresses AI, does it? There are weird because silicon alien creatures at the end. Yeah. That. That's fucking weird. It's very confusing. Film. It's one of it's one of the films that just passed the public by. And I've got a useless fact for it. Go on. Um, Stanley Kubrick started it. Really wanted to make it. Yeah. Um, Steven Spielberg picked it up. Yeah, but the only reason he didn't make it is because he thought that no child actor could convey the amount of emotion that was needed. Yeah. And then he he died, and the film was tributed to. Stanley Kubrick because they found Haley Joel Osment who yeah I see I see dead people kid they got yeah. him yeah um, basically uh, this family think their child is going to die or something so they mm. get this AI kid but they fucking hate him because well, he's learned the way he's learned because he he comes as like a blank slate yeah and then he he learns how to interact but and there's then, a bit when he's like laughing because the family's laughing at the dinner table and he laughs too long and he just he just carries on laughing and they're all in silence staring at him laughing and he's like yeah. screaming at the face because he doesn't understand because he doesn't understand social convention yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. it's like this, this this Pinocchio theme like there is in Blade Runner of the whole real boy thing um, he, wants to, he wants to find a fairy to transform him into a, a real, real boy don't mean to distract from it but there's a there's a real sense of that in science fiction and puppetry we had that in Age of Ultron didn't we and the Avengers, yeah, uh, no strings on me. Yeah, and that—that's the example. That's an example of it, it's basically kind of both. Yeah, AI and singularity. It is, yeah, it's the idea of breaking free from any kind of constraint. So it's fucking hard. Then they leave him in a forest or some shit. They just leave him out in the woods. Yeah. Right. Um, but he's like, oh, mom. I love yeah, you. he's like, crawl. He's like, mom. Like, and then and then he gets lost and goes to like a fair where these people are just like bashing the shit out of. Um, robots for fun and he meets is it uh, Jude Law he's yeah. a robot prostitute he's like a gigolo <laughs> he has like, samples of his, his clients voices and he's, yeah. he like starts playing them and dancing like, <laughs> his name like, no uh, oh, oh, does anyone want to guess his name in the film what is it go on it's, it, it can't get any better gigolo Joe oh, <laughs> <laughs> which one of us is that <laughs> So what do we think about the ethical implications of having AI? Any ideas? Because um, you were talking about the automation of it. Yeah. The automation of the workplace and the economy. I guess it's a, it's a really boring ethical implication compared to like, destruction of the planet. It's um, important regardless, though. Yeah, it's not Skynet, is it? <laughs> no, it's really... It's... But probably more terrifying in some consequences because obviously it's not this big grandiose thing so people are like oh shit it's going to creep up on us yeah people don't realise it's already happening basically so not necessarily conscious machines or intelligent more in- more s- smart machines yeah um, machines that serve a purpose yeah they are you know if air quotes can't be seen on an audio <laughs> podcast that's <laughs> the way I put air quotes smart machines <laughs> close air quotes close air yeah. quotes the automation of the workforce is a thing that AI can pretty much just bring about, like the, the end of jobs that don't necessarily require yeah, well, we human see, we saw interaction. It. We saw it with the 
ploughs and yeah. fucking agriculture and so stuff. So people are use, using drones now, aren't Factories, and, and then um, in, on a more in a more modern theatre, we've seen it with till checkouts and, yeah, drones fighting in wars. I mean, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not particularly... That's a whole different... Yeah, I'm not going to war ethics. But yeah, machines can fulfil a lot of human jobs. Up to the point where human interaction is just not necessary. I did a Tesco shop today, spoke to about one person, one member of staff. Why? Why did you do that? Because I was using, <laughs> yeah, I was using a scanner, a scanner gun. Is it because you fucked up on the checkout? No, it's the only reason. Did no, you fuck they, up with the scanner gun? No, they, for some reason, I just, did, it was just a random check. Oh, they do because you're nicking stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, they'll just scan like five yeah. items. Yeah. Yeah, in, in two years, a drone will come along and scan you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or even, Am- have you seen the Amazon shop? Oh, the fucking place is insane, man. No. It's mental. So you walk in, you've got to be an Amazon customer, but there's no staff in the shop. All right. So you walk in, and there's just like a million trillion cameras everywhere that can identify what things you're picking up and putting in your basket. So you put pick something up off a shelf, pop it in your basket, and you walk out, and then it charges you for it. You don't Remotely, have to go to a till. Yeah. It just charges you for it. Charge your account, surely. That's horrible. Yeah. yeah. So the only Fuck. thing that humans need to do is stack the shelves in the morning. Even well, not even that. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. They can get a fucking drone. Get one of those dog yeah. robots with a grabber on top. Yeah, mm-hmm. put things in a shelf. Shit. So, yeah, that's... I, I'm not sure. I think there's only one or two mm. where that's happening. I think it was more of an experiment than anything. You well, can experiment or not, if it, if it shows that it can be done, like, yeah. it's, it'll follow. Yeah, it works. Even if you take things out of your basket and put it back on the shelves, it knows. Well, I think at some point, uh, you have to get onto the more philosophical issue which I tried raising in the last podcast, and I'm just not really sure how to effectively get the point across, but the idea of how this affects human worth and how we view humanity. I don't know if you have any ideas around that. Do you get what I mean in terms of yeah. fundamentally changing what it means to be human? Well, from a perspective where I'm a, I own a shop, and then I, I suddenly realise I don't need people anymore. Mm. I can just do all of this without paying anyone anything, because... The only people I need to pay are the t- robot technicians who yeah. will come in like once a month for a couple of hours, make sure everything's working. Yeah. I, I then, I, I'm not thinking at all about what a job means to someone. So, it, yeah, it breeds this detachment from. It, yeah, exactly. Yeah, like, you interaction don't, and humanity. And, yeah. yeah. Because, like it or not, you need a job to, to live, to live comfortably. You need a job to be able to afford crap and buy food and eat and drink and whatever. But if. It comes to the point where you don't have a job, and there's no, there's no, no one sees you as someone who can work for you. Then what are they viewing you as instead? What capitalism has got to the point where people see people as numbers, and, and your senses they won't even be, they they won't even be, be that, that anymore. Well, I think that will probably mark a shift, and hopefully we'll start to see each other in terms of something better. Do you think? Well, I hope so. Customers. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you're right, but. So I, I said to a friend, and I don't know if I've mentioned this before on any podcasts, but I once said to a friend, let's say we did shift our economic model, we finally got complete communism, all our basic needs are met by an uh, automated workforce. As I said to you before, Engels had a few problems with that because he thought that... Basically, someone's always got to be in charge of the robots and yeah, you're gonna have potential s- to manipulate them yeah. in charge. Even if it's just a guy who comes along once a week to check if they're still all the cogs are all turning, you're going to have human supervisors and these people are going to end up being the ruling class. Uh, now, I don't necessarily agree with that, but what I do agree with is that 
let's say our economic model shifted. So what we're dealing with is a world where we can pursue our hobbies and everything. And I think we would probably have a class system develop out of that, in terms of the hobbies we pursue, that we'd probably all be uh, musicians and poets. Well, you've, and got to th- you've got to think about the existence of money, because unless, it, it's, unless it's a service like an experience, if everything was just done for us, we had food on the plate, what what kind of value does money have? Is there, is, is, is there going to be better food that you can get automated for you? First of all, in a, the first scenario, we don't even have money. I'm struggling know. to think of any world where there, money isn't a thing. Communism and there's no money in Star Trek. I think at least in the original series. Probably um, not in the other ones where there's space bars. Yeah, well, yeah I mean, <sighs> the Federation is one thing, that there are other places besides the Federation in Star Trek. Yeah, like in Earth. There are sleazy planets, yeah. In Earth, yeah, yeah. Well, that, Earth is different because Earth goes through a nuclear war before it gets to Star Trek phase. Yeah. They unite because they have to, because they fuck the planet up. But then after that, civilization emerges, so there's no money. Yeah, that, that, mm. and like a lot of what fuels that is amazing technology. Yeah. All they need to met. Yeah. You join Starfleet because it's fun and yeah, exciting. Yeah, you get to go visit crap. Yeah, yeah. You, like... And, and, All right, Star Trek world. Where yeah. There's no money. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't fuck how that work. I mean, so let's say everything is fucking 3D printed for you and synthesised. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's no environmental cost because the, the AI algorithms are working that out and yeah. that the carbon footprint is nothing. But, but anyway, so my friend basically said to this idea, that I said, completely hypothetically, there's no money, there's nothing. Mm. Everything you want is in front of you. Maybe a philosophy develops where we don't want that much, but we, we see value in pursuits like... Mm-hmm art and they're not just and he was like well if everyone's getting a book out every five seconds I'm like no they're not releasing books to be sold people are just writing books because they want to write fiction for their own benefit people on their laptops and things will just have journals and poetry and people will start picking up all kinds of different crafts and they'll start painting they'll start just sitting around like this and having conversations more often Mm. and people will you know go to pubs and things people go for a run there's a lot of things, and he was like, oh, I can't imagine anything more boring than not working. Like, you must have a fucking great job. Wouldn't it possible to get anyone to do anything? If Say if you wanted to make a film, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you'd have to convince everyone who was part of that film why they should make that film. Why? Because there's so many different contingent parts of the film. And at the moment now, everyone's just doing it because they see it as work, they see it as a job. I don't know, I think there are some craftsmen out there, directors oh, but, especially. But like, lighting people... Or electricians who work in a studio. They're not, like, sold on the vision of the film. They're just like, oh, I'm going to do this. Oh, I'm going to move the, this. For the lighting, you get robots. you got robot people for the menial tasks. If I could jump in, at the moment, all sorts of arts and culture come from diversity of experience. And if we're in a world where there is no money and we've all kind of got the same, um, the same opportunities, the likelihood is we will have very similar experiences. So does that take away from art and culture in the sense that we're all going to have similar experiences? We can't yeah. convey our different experiences. Yeah, we'll all be too homogenous. Yeah, because there'll be no struggle. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think I think there's personal struggle, and I think art will be will be such a big thing. I think people will see themselves in terms of like mental illness isn't going to go away, and people are going to struggle with depression and trying to communicate that, and the, the people will be reading different types of fiction. I think people will kind of split with that but also the things that the hobbies that people do will define them rather than the work they do I really don't think it'll be that much of a stretch because I, th- I think people will throw themselves at their hobbies 
completely and and try and be the best at what they do and people will just still do sport you know what i mean and like yeah. that will develop as a culture of its own that'll be but people do have different likes and different tastes but isn't the, the likes and tastes and choices that we have does do that not rely on our different circumstances in yeah, the first yeah, place yeah completely well, I, I, yeah. so if i'm going to take your argument to like yeah. the most simple point would you say that Nothing interesting would happen if we didn't have any kind of hardships. So, this is me playing devil's advocate at yeah. that point, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, there, there are obviously bigger problems with this idea, like, how do people get houses? Do, does everyone just live where they want to live? Or what if yeah. everyone wants to live in one place? How do, how do we sort that out? Like, logistically, it's... A f- yeah, I just want to say, I don't agree with this idea. I'm just saying that it wouldn't be boring. I'm just playing devil's advocate. I don't think it would ever happen. No. Because if if a government can't sort out leaving fucking it, the EU, I just can't see people living a life because it'd just be boring. That's, I think a lot of I the beauty of free time comes from not having much yeah. of it. But I think but if you've got too much of it, you're just like, I want to go yeah. to work. Yeah, see, I want to do something. I would get your point if people didn't work in charity shops. Yeah. For like four hour, four days a week, like yeah. people do this kind of stuff. Musicians who make fucking no money throw themselves into albums and I would, huge I would differentiate. I, I differ- hope to one day get money though. But I differentiate between is. working in a charity shop and writing an album. Yeah. Because that's a creative endeavour rather than a selfless. Well, let's, like a, yeah, people, that's something they do for themselves rather than something they just do. Yeah. And I'll prove to myself that I can do. Yeah. It. So, but so it'll be a mix of personal projects and things for the community but I think social clubs will be the new work like you'll have demands from Warhammer Club going come on let's, let's, fucking, let's fucking sort some shit out and you, you know you'll have pressures from friendship groups and so- socialising will be a large part of everything And I just don't I can't see unless it's at a very 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 low level of just like survival I mean so, shit survival. Hum- human history always tells us there's an alternative and like, look at all the people that are monks and stuff. Like, what are they getting at? Like, yeah. we can develop philosophies that cater to a new way of living and get people on board with that. Mm. Like, I, I, I don't... Just because we, we're so fixed... It's interesting in you bring now. up that point. When I was in India, um, I was talking to... This is going to be every it. conversation with oh, yeah, Joe. Just, just you when fucking I was in India... Just you, yeah. Oh, my life has changed in India. Fuck you, guys. I did some yoga anyway. Had a gap week. It I was, was amazing. It was five didn't days. Shit yourself. <laughs> I was lucky. Yeah, really lucky. So you've got these sadhus wandering around everywhere, um, and they're so concerned about their faith that they've cast off everything and don't want anything at all. They're just concerned about you know finding the ultimate truth for themselves. But all they do is walk around asking for money, which is the, the biggest irony of it all, because they need money to survive, obviously. Yeah. So they spend their lives asking for money. Beggars. Yeah. I find it amusing the in orange. orange of it. Yeah. Which yeah. is bigger than orange, isn't yeah, it? Pretty much. So I know another guy who works on a retreat and he's a he's a monk. Money just doesn't really enter his life. And neither the mo- he wouldn't want to buy anything if he had money. They well, only how need, does he eat? They're largely self sustained on a retreat, so they grow their own food and well, stuff. I still think there'll there'll be a need for I'm not it. Convinced. I think there'll be a need for it. Because <clears throat> say oh, we've got a three D printer, we can print everything. What if there's things that you're not allowed to print? Like what? Drugs. Say, say the government's still there. It's like, oh no, can't print drugs. I'm not, I'm not saying there won't be like deviants and subcultures and yeah. criminal. Where, where money will be. There. But I mean, we have that now. We have a massive criminal element in society now with 
you know, fucking things like human trafficking. Like, it mm. doesn't mean that for the large part we can exist without that. We don't rely on that. If anything, it, it hinders us. But I think that is the exception to the idea that money will just not happen. If I didn't have to worry about how I'd live, I mean, I can only answer it how I would personally respond to it, but like, if I didn't have to worry about rent and food and everything and utility bills, I would probably volunteer at like a fucking wildlife sanctuary or something and, you know, take up loads of, I'd try and learn a few more skills, I'd try and like just do shit. I mean, I'll probably buy a fucking trampoline while I'm at it, but, <laughs> and a couple of bottles of whiskey, but I mean, I, and I think we can encourage people to take on those kinds of endeavours. Hmm. I think, you know, it's seeing the value in that so that people... people but once everybody has those skills, does, does the, the value of those skills not degenerate? Well, I don't like think anyone can, le- anyone can learn every skill to a decent degree. And, like, I don't know, there's, there's loads of shit to learn, but especially by that point, when we get to that point where we could, we're able to do that, like, if the planet isn't fucked by then, there'll be just so much shit to learn. You know, different kinds of crafts and hobbies, and, I don't know, it'd be a whole new culture that would develop, and I... I don't think it would necessarily be boring. I think there would be, it would have its own problems, but I really don't think it would be boring. I think that there's a lot of shit besides work that can fulfill and sustain people's intellect and imagination. You've seen a film called Surrogates, Bruce Willis. It's weird, like no one's fucking seen this film, but it's, it kind of takes on the idea of, like, I guess, transhumanism. Um, I'll unpack that. Bruce Willis is a cop and he lives in this world where he's always a fucking cop, isn't he? Mm. he uh, is he divorced? Do you know what? He's having marital problems. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's, he's estranged from his current wife. Um, but the, the reasons why are, are quite interesting. So he lives in a science fiction world where people don't live in their real bodies. It's called surrogate because people have surrogate bodies. Okay. So 90% of the day, people live in little fucking sunbed, uh, like suntan bed things that mm. they like go to sleep in and they pilot remotely, like Avatar, a body, which is like a perfect version. So Bruce Willis has hair in in, in his yeah. on his body. But it, it leads to this really fucking weird culture where, um, just going back to what I said earlier about devaluing humanity. So, uh, can I just, is this a good film? I think it has some good ideas. Okay. I do. No, I, really, I really, I really before like I get the premise. too invested in it. I really, <laughs> I really do like the premise. Um, Bruce Willis uh, in the first act basically loses his surrogate body. And Does Bruce around. Willis give a shit in this film? Uh, like, can acting you wise. Acting wise. I'm not sure. You can I can't remember. Like, in most films, is in. He's like, don't want to be. It's here. quite recent, so I, I'm not sure. I think it's post Fifth Element, so I don't know. Yeah, I think he does. I think he does. What do you think? Well, he's. Think he gives a I shit. don't know. I can't really tell because it's been a while since I've seen it, and he plays a very sort of melancholy character because basically he he thinks that people shouldn't be in these things. Yeah. He he says to something to someone who he's in a meeting where he's like, I don't know who the fuck you are. You could be like it's like a really attractive woman. He's yeah. like, you could be some fifty year old diabetic bloke just lying in a sunbed. You've chosen this body or whatever. Like, but he's he's just like really mopey. And who's who's making these bodies? Where are the bodies coming from? I don't know, it's a company, they must be doing well. They've got a monopoly on. Literally yeah. everyone is in these things, and they're super strong, yeah. they're just, just, just fucking great. So people, when they, people get out of these things, they feel really groggy, and they fucking hate themselves, yeah. because these things are so advanced compared to what they can do. Yeah. Profoundly, um, thank God for diversity at that point. Like, 
when everybody's like the perfect idea of themselves, surely I'm going on about boring, but that just gets boring. It's yeah. done at that point. Yeah, and this is the, this is the big um, this is the big crux of the film. It's like yeah, I can see that shit. And I think more people would reject these things. Not everyone walking around is in one. A lot of people are in between stages of getting a new one, or okay. there's a problem with theirs, or they just maybe don't want it today. But for their jobs, especially, most people are just wearing these things. Mm. Well, not wearing them, but piloting them remotely from the house. And uh, his wife won't even see him because she hates her body. She oh, she'll only see him in this in this form. She looks. She's like got no makeup on at the end when she finally does come out. And at what point does anyone deserve anything? Go on. You say he's a cop. Yeah. Oh, so what, what, like? Yeah. You could just make a body that's like can run really fast after criminals. Or can you know? Go I, think, I think they. Yeah. I think they address this. I think it's. Um, do you mean how do you? How do how do people get jobs if they're if they're? Right. How does anybody have their own individual skill? Yeah. Right. So certain bodies cost more. Certain bodies can do more. So oh. his body gets destroyed for a while, and he considers going into another one. But they only have a replacement one, which is like really basic, so really uncanny valley. Oh. Doesn't look right. So, but some of them are strong. Right? Yeah. So. You could earn enough money to get a strong one, rob a bank with the strong one, yeah. and get a stronger one, and then carry on going up that chain because maybe you're stronger now. You can do weightlifting. You can be a personal trainer. You know, personal trainers are shit tons of money, loads of money. Well, I don't. You need a personal trainer if you want a body like that. Right. Oh, that's a good point. Maybe uh, unless they come around to your house and deal with your actual body. Yeah. yeah. So it's kind of just a. a I know I'm reading way too far. Are you? Are you? Yeah. I'm interested in it. Oh, I thought you were saying, like, what? what's the... If you're attacking other bodies, like, what's the problem? Yeah. Yeah, I am also. Yeah. Yeah, like, a lot of the crime is focused around people breaking into houses and damaging people's actual well, bodies. Well, they're in the... Or at least damaging... If you use your surrogate body to attack another surrogate body, what you're doing there is um, damaging someone's property or, or I'd like to adapt my statement yeah, personal the training. average wage of a personal trade is like £19,000 per year anyway so I wanted to get on to transhumanism okay right uh, have you come across transhumanism yeah you wrote a good essay on this didn't you I don't, th- I don't think it's an idea anymore it's more of like a, a, a aim or a goal isn't it for some people oh it's a, it's a yeah it's this pipe dream for rich people that want to pressure school kids into funding like yeah like do you want mummy and daddy to die well tell your parents to fund my thing so i can live forever yeah. in a fucking tube yeah a fucking kaleidoscope so well the word transhumanism is they're transcending human bodies yeah not bodies and minds which so which, which in and of itself invokes this idea that currently it's not enough you, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. It's, it's superior to yeah. something we already have. It's transcending the issues that humanity currently faces. Yeah. So it's, it's, they give a, a like a list of things like death, um, illnesses, uh, depression, mental health, that kind of thing. Like, yeah. Which I don't. I don't think you can include death and illness in the same thing. Like I think mortality is a big part of our current existentialism, and I yeah. think it's it's yeah. this immutable thing that informs a lot of our ethics, a lot of our interaction. And they're like. These these people are just like yeah we can we can overcome it through the use of technology we're gonna overcome the flaws of humanity yeah I think it's Julian Huxley, okay. Aldous Huxley's brother it was a French dude I'm sure who kind of coined the term yeah but it is fundamental level it's just transcending the human condition mm. 
Um, Pretty much. There's various different, loads of different ways that people have said we can do it. A lot of them are just as improbable as the next. Yeah, the idea of uploading consciousness into a, like a fucking yeah. cybernetic form. Yeah. With the people don't understand these people that are terrified of dying and want to do that. It's like that won't be you <laughs> after you do that. That's like There's something missing of what was you, isn't it? Yeah. Well, part of what it means to be you is to live in a physical body. Yeah. If you were a brain in a jar, yeah. your frames of reference are going to be removed. You're going to start thinking very, very differently. If you're not seeing out of eyes, if you're not you know, touching with your hands, if you're not smelling with your nose, you're going to be something much different. Yeah, I think that's what I kind of concluded my um, uh, grade 78 uh, essay. On. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was, they, they, they proposed it as like the next stage of human evolution, like fucking X-Men or something. Yeah. But it's it's not human at all. It's It's like... It's well, disassociation yeah, I mean, with everything that's human. Uh, that's not, yeah, it's <coughs> not evolution. Anyway. Well, they, that's, how, that's how they say, oh. That's, yeah, how, yeah. that's what transhumanism claims. Yeah, we're, cure, we're curing all point. the faults yeah. of yeah. human. Well, I don't, see, I don't think. But at that point. I don't think mortality is a fault. Is yeah. I think it's a fundamental. It's, it's, it's the yeah, fundamental. It's a natural part like, of it. Yeah, so pushing for AI doesn't necessarily mean this, but I think the desire for this kind of constant transformative change in humanity's skills. Uh, innovation, decision making, expressions of art, and people's jobs and livelihoods. You know, in a lesser way, phones change the idea of the conversation, the internet changed reality. So it's all rooted in, I guess, a deeper idea that extends a lot further than AI. It's like this contemporary push for progress and betterment. And you can unpack those two words because, like, what, what do they mean? Yeah. Uh, and the reason I keep mentioning religions is because I suspect, and I think this is something that relates to your dissertation on existentialism and. Uh, the other and stuff, which we'll talk about that soon as well. But it's basically the same ontology as religion. So the way humans are framed, and I'd argue they're framed as inferior subjects, or at least there's an interesting parallel there. I mean, the reality is a little bit more nuanced. Mm-hmm. Basically, where AI and defining humanity meet really profusely, like it's woven in contexts like uh, gene therapy, life extension, brain fucking implants computer interfaces, uploading your mind into a big jellyfish tank. The premise of this movement is uncanny in its comparison to something like the Abrahamic faith. It's got this kind of staunch hatred of the human condition as it is at face value, sort of desperate vein of morbid existentialism, all focusing on towards death, all focusing towards a a kind of... It's weird, because it's it's like a hatred of life. They love life and they hate life at the same time. It's, It's very bizarre. But they're all really concerned about promoting, uh, what's the word, an eschatology, like a, like an end game. It's yeah. all about overcoming human fragility, and it's all about talking about this far-off future. Language and ideas are all talking about something far off in the distance, not in the here and now. I can't think of anything more religious. So, There's yeah. a lot of um, articles and examples that compare religion and transhumanism quite nicely. Mm. The fact that things have a Is that, that Heidegger? Who's I, like, possibly. What makes us human is... Death yeah, and the fact that we have, yeah, we have a concept of death. There's also a sociologist, Ernest Becker, who uh, I think talks about the fact that everything we do is to deny death. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, It's true. Yeah, he thinks that everything is just a complete denial of the fact that we're all going to die one day. The fact that we're here talking, yeah. doing a podcast, rather than sitting at home thinking about how we're going to die one day. Mm. It's, it's, it's a distraction, yeah. yeah. Or 
at best a way to come to terms with it in, in terms of making the most out of the time you have. But for most people, it's just it's just distracting. Now I'm just thinking about my own death. <laughs> <laughs> how do you uh, how do you picture yourself dying? I don't like really. Elvis Presley. It's not the theory that Elvis Presley is like a secret agent who faked his own death. Do you think? No, I, no, I don't think. Because went to Venezuela. Why, why would you? Why would you? <laughs> when Jesus got on that boat and went to America. Um, <laughs> why? Why would you? Why would you fake your own death like that? Invited Joseph Smith. Yeah, I, uh, you wouldn't. You just. Yeah. So the CIA go up to Elvis Presley and say, "Yeah, so uh, do you want to time to get? Do you want to be an agent? How do you want to die?" Uh, on the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> oh. No, no, no. We, we can make. We can. We can have you shot. Like. Yeah, you know, we, we can have you try and jump the the Grand Canyon. Um, yeah, something yeah. goes wrong. And you, you, um, do, you do the splits and you get torn in two or something. Like, yeah, yeah. you're fighting a bear. And the bear wins. You go up to space. Oh yeah, no, well, shit the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> the impression's got to be a regular feature now. <laughs> I've eaten a lot of hamburgers. And shit myself. <laughs> shit myself to death. Oh. I've been working on that. <laughs> you have. <laughs> oh, 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 the last five years of his life, he's wearing a big fat suit. It's a big, it's a big cover. It's reminiscent of Jim Morrison, actually. In his last year of life, he got really fat and then mysteriously died a little bit. Did he? Mm. A little bit. A little bit. Have you seen Death Becomes Her? No. It's, um, I can't remember who makes it, but it's Meryl Streep and Bruce Willis is in it as well. And he does give a very good performance. A convincing performance. Um, mm-hmm. uh, it's very uh, over dramatic, but I think that's part of the film. Um, they, there's like a, a weird cult that's um, got a, a vial and it makes you immortal, but you don't heal, you just don't die. All the so you'll be walking around and there's like a bone man just completely just <laughs> yeah. spooky skeleton yeah yeah, yeah. a there's, bone man by the end by the end of, <laughs> by the, end of the film um Meryl Streep's like falling, bone, bone man falling apart so yeah Meryl what is what's it what's that like? a bone man <laughs> I don't believe that I don't know <laughs> Let's just take the word skeleton out of the dictionary. Because <laughs> <laughs> bone man, it's <laughs> fucking amazing. Replace it with bone man. <laughs> no, okay. b- bone man is a, is a microaggression. <laughs> I apologise to any female skeletons. Yeah, I think we're pausing this up <laughs> But I take big issue. <laughs> big issue. I take issue with the idea that. <laughs>